Come Holy Spirit, teach us how to pray, teach us how to relate to you. Comfort us in the discomforts of walking in this world, in this life, in this particular day. Keep us in your peace and help us to respond to you in all that we do. Amen. Father, Son, Holy Spirit, amen. So I got home last night and talked to my wife for a second in passing and went and sat with my daughter, laid with her for a little bit and sat with her until she fell asleep. She was waiting up for me. She's like, are you okay? And I felt off and I knew I felt off. And I sat there for a little bit and thought about it. And I was like, man, I needed to hear all the stuff that I said yesterday myself. It's the joy of doing this. You know, for me, what I do is I listen. I try to listen to Jesus. For me, the foundation of everything has to be that in and of myself, I have nothing to offer the world. My life has shown me that without God, I will break what I touch. All corrupt, pure things, all damaged stuff. Because without him, I'm selfish, I'm self-centered, self-seeking, dishonest, inconsiderate, lack of compassion, lack of care and concern for others. All those good qualities that we have come from him. They come from him. We're all dependent creatures. And we either listen to him or we listen to the evil one. One of the two. We're listening to somebody, whoever's chirping, whoever's talking to us. People tell me, someone said yesterday, oh, your insights are great, da 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 all that kind of stuff. Man, for most of my life, I had no clue what was happening in here. All I knew was, ah, keep it away from me. I was overwhelmed. I was disrupted by everything. As one of my friends likes to say, dysregulated. I was dysregulated by life. The reason there's any kind of self-awareness, any kind of intuition, any kind of insight is because of something Father Gallagher says in the beginning of his books. Become aware, understand, and then take action. A big component of staying free is becoming aware of our own heart. Getting to know our own heart What's there? Our thoughts, our feelings, our desires. Most of us have so much stuff swirling around in there and it's so overwhelming that we just try to put it in a box that's leak-proof and bury it somewhere. But becoming aware of what's happening in us is really important. What that does not mean is that as I pay attention to what's happening in me, I try to figure it all out. That would be introspection, navel-gazing. The way you can tell if you're doing that is you'll usually get tired and overwhelmed and possibly a little frustrated and agitated because nothing's changing and you're just hitting the wall and revving your wheels, right? But the awareness that he's talking about is constantly listening to God, to our own heart, and when we experience those things there, sorry, when we experience those things there, 
that do not line up with God, we simply open it to him and allow him in to show us. So it's always from a position of listening, of receptivity, of openness. That humility that we talked about yesterday or I talked about. Because he will show us what's happening and we can become aware. He can lead us to understand what's happening in our own heart. Understanding is a gift of the Holy Spirit. It's a fruit of the Holy Spirit is understanding. And when we understand what's happening, we can take action. When we can understand the different things that are happening in us, I would advise everybody to read Discernment of Spirits by Father Timothy Gallagher. Particularly when it comes to this whole topic that we're dealing with. Because Ignatius, Ignatius Loyal is really clear. There's two voices there. There's our voice too, but there's two voices speaking to us. And the question is, is which one do we listen to and respond to and take action from? So we need to be aware of what's happening in our own heart. So how do we stay free? It says staying free, the battle for the mind. That's what I was talking about yesterday. It all centers right here between our ears. Right here. What do we believe? What do we set our mind on? What do we set our minds on? Remember how I read, Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. Have no anxiety about anything. Da, 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 da. In verse 8, in Ephesians 4, he says, Finally, brethren, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is gracious, if there's anything, any excellence, if there's anything worthy of praise, think about these things. What you have learned and received and heard and seen in me do, and the peace of God will be with you. What do we do with our mind? Where does our mind rest? Where do we put it? There's the whole notion that somehow we're going to quiet it and still it. That's a lie. The Buddhists call it monkey brain. It's constantly going, right? Constantly going. The question is, is do we allow our mind to focus and be focused upon the things of God? Or not. See, the stillness that can come in prayer sometimes is called contemplation and it's a gift. I don't know if anybody's ever experienced that before. That total stillness where everything just gets quiet, everything is still, and you're just there. When it happens for me, I'm like, just be quiet, Matt. Because it's absolute peace. That's a gift called contemplation that God gives us. We can't manufacture that. The catechism says that distractions are part of the battle of prayer. It's part of the battle of our communion with our Lord and our interior life. 
to focus on the distractions and try to manage them is to fall right into their trap. Because what they've done is they've pulled our gaze off of him onto them. The appropriate response is to, when we find ourselves distracted over here, is to bring our mind right back over here to whatever it is we're praying with, we're doing, and focus on our Lord. But the single most important thing is to set our mind on these things. There's things we can do in our daily life to help facilitate that. These, I am convinced, were created by the devil. 100%. Now, my entire work life is wrapped up in this thing. The only thing I can't do and don't do from it is word processing. I don't use database. My secretary does all that. But word processing is the only thing I can't do on it. Otherwise, that's all I use it for. So at one level, it's good. On the other hand, one of the problems that we have as a people is we're constantly inundated with information. Constantly. There's constantly stuff coming at us. There's information right now, that light. Right? The sun. Dink. Right there. There's stuff when we're driving around. We have to pay attention. I mean, we can go on autopilot. It always creeps me out, though, when I just went like half a mile and I don't remember doing so because I've been on autopilot, you know? But there's always information coming at us. There's people talking to us. There's work to be done. There's noise. There's sound. There's light. There's beauty. There's good, bad, everything. There's always information. When I was a kid and we used to roll around in the car smoking funny things with the windows up, it would get pretty toxic in there, and eventually you'd have to roll the windows down to let it all out, right? It's no different in this. We take in so much information that our head can get all clouded up and full. If the only time we take to be quiet is the 15, 20, 30 minutes of prayer every day, every two days, every week, it's going to be noisy because that's the only space we give ourselves for all that to empty out. An important thing to do is to take time that's quiet every day just to let our minds filter out, just to let our stuff filter out. I'm not even talking about prayer right now. Just to think, just to be. That's part of why when we engage with other people, we're constantly thinking about stuff and not really listening to them. It's because there's just stuff in there. That's why when you come on a retreat like this, the first, I don't know, depending on what your life is like, it could be anywhere from a few hours to a day before you actually quiet down. Right? I've heard people say frequently on a short retreat like this, like, man, I just got quiet. Now I got to go home. Because then what that says is that we're not taking enough time to be quiet in our day-to-day life to be able to focus on the things of God. So how do you order your life? Is there time for quiet in there? Is there time for prayer every day? 
Now, just because we take time for quiet does not mean the prayer is just going to be clouds parting all the time. That's not what I'm saying. But it will be much easier to focus and be attentive to the things of God, to be attentive to our heart, to be attentive to him. This is a battle. This is a battle. We're all involved in a battle. Said before, Satan has a plan for our life and God has a plan for our life. Satan wants us alone, isolated, and ultimately dead. First interior, interiorly usually, and then physically. And this is a growing problem. A good friend of mine is a pediatrician, and he does some different things online, and said he didn't realize how much he'd have to talk about the S word as a pediatrician. Suicide. With children. Oh, just go kill yourself, they say. You're struggling, just go kill yourself. And they do. Like This is the answer. That is Satan's plan. He wants us to devalue life so much and to think our situation is so bad, so impossible that we do it ourselves. He doesn't have to do it. He just has to chirp some stuff here and there. And we'll take care of it ourselves. That's his plan for us. Every single one of us. God's plan is obviously the dead opposite. It's life. It's joy. It's peace. We're in the midst of a battle. Neil says here, continued freedom requires entering into battle where your freedom will be tested. We're set free to stand in this grace that God has given us. The challenge is, is do we believe that we're in that place and can we stay there? The battle is always over our identity and our purpose. Jesus even grew in his identity. We have to be careful not to write Jesus off. Well, he was God. Don't write Jesus off. Jesus became a man, humbled himself, emptied himself of the power of his divinity. Of course, he was God. That never changed. But all that power and stuff that he has as God, he emptied himself of all that kind of stuff. Anne Rice wrote a book right after she converted back to the church. You know, she was the vampire lady. And it was, I think, it, what was it called? Like Christ out of Egypt or something like that. And Jesus is like a little kid, like <laughs> doing things. It was totally crazy. Inaccurate, 100%. But we often have that same mindset about Jesus. But Jesus grew in wisdom and stature and understanding among men. He grew in his own identity. He grew in who he was and what his purpose was all throughout his life. He was taught that he was the son of God. He knew it, right? When he's gone and they find him, don't you know I need to be in my father's house? Many of us know that. Many of us know that we are sons and daughters of God. But just like Jesus, for us, it does not change that we need to hear that from him directly and definitively. 
that we are his sons and daughters. Jesus needed to hear it. And that's what happens at the baptism, right? The heavens rip open. This is my beloved son with whom I'm well pleased. The definitive speaking forth of his identity from the father directly. And all that power that he set aside to become like one of us, to struggle through life like one of us. And his life wasn't easy. His mom was considered a harlot. His dad died at some point in there. Nobody likes the good kid, let alone the perfect one. Could you imagine that? Jesus was perfect. Nobody likes the good kid. Everybody taunts him and teases him and thinks they're a dork and everything else. Nobody likes the good kid, but he was the perfect kid. Never was mean, never sinned, never slighted anybody, never got caught up in teasing, never, ha, 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 when other people were wronging somebody else. Think about that for a minute. This kid who all this power of God is set aside somehow managed to follow God in the midst of all of that. Never sinned. He would have got made fun of. He would have got bullied. His mom would have been harassed. All these things. He's alone at some point because his father dies. We don't know when for sure. Then his first homily, they want to kill him. First homily, they want to kill him. Boom. Like he did not have an easy life. Yet somehow he's able to stay in this identity as a son and continue to grow in his purpose. When we're baptized and we're washed clean and we stand with him, that's the exact same thing he wants us to come to understand. Is that in him we have a father who looks on us with love. And we have a purpose, which is to communicate the father's grace to the world in our own particular unique way. When Jesus receives this identity as a son, he's driven out into the desert by the spirit. What does Satan say to him? If you're the son of God, if you're the son of God, if you're the son of God, he tries to call into question his identity. It's what it's all about. The entire fruitfulness of Jesus' ministry is rooted in his knowing he's the Son of God and staying with the Father. In John 5.19, he says, I only do what I see the Father doing. That's it. Jesus never did anything that the Father wasn't doing. Now, how is that possible? Because the two become one when we're intimate with people. In relationship, we become like the other that we're in relationship with. This is why I don't want my kids hanging around certain other kids. Because when they share life with them, they become like them. In relationship, we have to conform ourselves to the other to be in that relationship. This is why they break up and fail is when somebody decides or both decide they're no longer going to do that. Somebody in marriage decides, yeah, I'm done putting up with you. I'm no longer going to come here and meet you. I'm no longer going to give. 
than there was one. In a working relationship, no different. I'm no longer about the mission of this place. I'm out. Right? I can no longer pay you. Bye-bye. <laughs> you know? In a relationship, two people conform themselves to one another. The son's relationship is always with the father, and the two become one. See, when we open our interior life to him, we relate our thoughts, feelings, desires, what we think about, what we feel, what we want, all these things, which for us as fallen people, as we're being made holy, are tainted. It's made holy through relating those things to him. See, what happens is we begin to think like he thinks, feel like he feels, want what he wants. The more we're anchored in this communion with him, the more we share with him our heart. That's where the purification happens. So we're in a weekend like this. We experience the love of the Father. Many people do. It's to stay in the same mode of being that enabled you to get to that place of peace and intimacy in that unbound session, which is being open and real. It's to bring the hard things before him and repent. It's to forgive people when they're wrong. It's to reject those old ways of thinking, feeling, believing that, that have been with one so long. All that in this relationship of prayer with him and this intimacy with him. When a person does that long enough, they become one of these. And grace just moves through them. Right? They only do what they see the Father doing. So when Jesus healed people, there's this question in healing ministries all the time of, why doesn't God heal everybody? Jesus did. Why doesn't God? What? Once again, I don't understand the disconnect with this. The reason Jesus healed everybody is because he only tried to heal who the Father wanted to heal. He never tried to heal anybody else. We, on the other hand, when we go try to heal somebody, it's like, I need, we need to heal somebody. Oh, there's someone with a broken leg. Psst, try to heal them. doesn't happen. Is our attempt to do so led by the Father, or is it because we think this person needs to be healed and they should be and we should try and da 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 Do you understand where I'm going with that? The Spirit-led life is one where we're led by the Father into something. That's how we grow in virtue. That's how we grow in holiness, when we're led into it and we step into it. All this trudging and trying and banging and clawing and clamoring is us. Jesus says, come to me and you'll find rest. When we're with him, we'll be at rest. And as Paul says here in Ephesians, we can stand there. Just stand and at rest. See, Jesus trusted unceasingly that the Father looked upon him with love and was there, and so he just rested there. Right? He'll challenge this. The evil one will challenge our identity and our purpose. And every single person has a purpose. Every single one of you, me, is a unique gift given to this world. An unrepeatable gift. You are a gift of the Father's heart to this world. 
and the place would be a lesser place without you. It would not be everything that it's supposed to be without you, without me. And each one of our gifts are different. Mine are different from father's or different from Jordan's and everybody else's. Our gifts are different. What we bring to the world is different. How we manifest Jesus to the world is different. But it's all important. And it all works together for his kingdom. When this battle comes, and the battle, what it looks like when it comes, is all this negative, desolating experience. That's when the battle is coming. It's not when we're at peace. It's not when we're resting in God. It's when that gets disrupted. That's when the battle is coming. What Neil says to do here is to respond as a growing child of God. Respond as a growing child. Don't respond as if you're isolated and alone and you have no father in heaven. Respond as a child of God who has a father in heaven who dotes on them and looks on them with love. Refuse to be discouraged. Like I said last night, the first thing is reject that garbage when it comes. It's untrue. Reject it. Praise God and thank him for the opposite of what's coming against you. See, Satan's native language is lie. Just like ours is English, his is lie. He never tells the truth. I had an unbound session once where an individual was needed an exorcist. I'll put it that way. And the things that were being said to me were all very ego stroking, how amazing I am and all this kind of stuff. Like (laughs) for real, (laughs) I know myself better than that. Right. Whenever it comes, it's lying. Refuse it. Refuse to be discouraged. Refuse to doubt. Refuse to be self-sufficient and manage and take care of this yourself. Praise God and thank him for what he's done for you and made you as a son or a daughter. Yesterday I got discouraged by a few things that I did. And it weighed on me a lot of the afternoon, which is why I needed to hear what I said last night. And then this morning on the way here, I could still feel it. And I had to go through the keys myself this morning on the way here. I started at the gas station. I'm coming down Cornhusker, rolling up the dirt road here. Because I didn't reject those things when they come. They're subtle very subtle sometimes. But what I had to do was I thought that I wasn't worthy of God's love because of a misstep. I could feel it when I renounced that lie, the weight lift. And for the person who has shame, that's usually a pretty big lie in there. 
were unworthy of love, mercy, forgiveness, those kind of things. Know that your battle is fought in your heart, your mind, and your thoughts. It's right here. Right between the ears. It's the mind. It's the beginning point of vice and virtue. And you want to fill your mind with the things of God and his kingdom. Seek to have your mind restored. You know, St. Jerome said, ignorance of scriptures is ignorance of Christ. In the last 12 to 18 months, I have spent more time putting away other books and reading this, and it has changed everything. It has changed everything. Because everything is rooted in here. It's all rooted in there. If that's all St. Therese reads, I'm sorry, but that's all I want to read right now. She was pretty clear on that. The Gospels is where she rested. The Word is living. It's alive. It moves us. It changes us. It shifts us. I used to think that was all pithy words and cute, but it's really true. It really does. Fill your mind with the things of God. God calls you by your true identity. He wants to give you an intimate experience of his love. You know when Jesus says, call no man father, and the Protestants get all wigged out that we call Father Coulter father and all that kind of stuff, right? It has nothing to do with that. What it is, is it's the fundamental orientation of the heart that the father wants to father me directly. Frequently, he does so through our pastors. But he also does so through my son, through my wife, right? Through the people I work with and meet with and serve. The point is, is that when we live a contemplative life, when we have intimacy with him, what we're really listening for in all the people in our life, including our pastors, our priests, our bishop, Anybody in the hierarchy is we're listening to the voice of the Father coming through them. That's what we're listening for. Because every one of us is imperfect and we're going to say things that aren't quite right. We're not going to get it exactly right all the time. We're not always going to have prophetic words that light the heart up. And so what it means by call no man father is that. It's let your father father you. Don't get distracted by your pastor who has been really communicating God's grace to you in powerful ways. Don't think it's just him. Praise God for his ability to commune with the father, to communicate his grace, but it's always the father coming through him. If you have a director, a spiritual director, somebody like that, and they seem to be like an oracle, <laughs> I have one of those personally. It's not her. It's Jesus. She just lives really closely with him and can say those things. It can speak his words. She has a prophetic gift. What we're always listening for is the Father. And St. Ignatius said that 
God taught him like a schoolmaster teaches a schoolboy. That's what God wants to do for every single one of us. Don't write Ignatius off as a saint. He was special. God wants to do that with each one of us. And he will. I already talked about this, but we need to live reflectively. Become aware of what's happening. Pay attention to our hearts. When we live in a lack of reflection, it enables Satan to set up his schemes in our life. We are the stewards of our own hearts, of our own person, of our own life. Remember how I said we don't want God to violate us until we do? This is where that comes into play. For some reason, we kind of want him to reach in and change and reorganize without our participation in that. But Paul's really clear. We put off the old man. We open our heart to God. God is a perfect gentleman. Jesus is a perfect gentleman who will never violate. He will never push through us. He will never do anything like that. He will stand in the door and knock forever. Can I come in? Hello? We can be off in la-la land, and every now and then he'll come and knock. Right? Every time. So live reflectively. We need to have the strongholds of our life exposed. Satan's deceptions always cause fatigue, confusion, fear, desolation. So if you're experiencing desolation, he's operating there somewhere. What Ignatius tells us to do is lean into the desolation with much prayer and self-examination. Right? When we experience those negative things, what we want to do is run for the hills and go the other way. What he says is no, lean into it. Because the whole point in the first week's rules for discernment, when we're being tested by desolation constantly, is see, Jesus, God is unchanging. God never changes. He's a straight line. He never changes. He's always the same. He's actually the easiest person to understand because he never changes. He's not like us who's all over the place bouncing around like a yo-yo. He's always the same. He's always meek and humble of heart. He's always patient. He's always forgiving. He's always kind. He's always ready to receive us. Right? Jesus is always there. The problem is, is we're all over the place. One of the things that really helped me to understand this is learning about birth control. Did you know women are rarely, if ever, chemically the same two days in their life? That's why they have a certain type of volatility to them. And I don't mean that in a negative way. There's a great grace involved in that volatility. Men are rarely, if ever, chemically different two days in their life. They're almost always bing. This is part of what is complementary about men and women. His stability, her volatility come together to reflect the life of God. It's in his stability that their strength, calm, and rest. 
It's actually in her volatility that there's all this compassion, the ability to multitask, to see, to juggle nine million things, to keep it all going, to make something beautiful, all comes from that. And together it reflects God. Well, we're all the bride and he's the bridegroom. Every one of us is a bride. Men, we're a bride too. It's hard for us to understand and grasp. But every one of us as the bride is volatile. All I have to do is look at the last 24 hours and see how I've yo-yoed around with Jesus. Right? He does not change. He's the same. What he wants to do is bring us to a place of consistency and stability where we can constantly focus and rest upon him. So what the desolations are there to do is to try to get us to move, to move from him, to move from communion. So lean into that desolation with prayer and self-examination. The self-examination component is, did I do anything to bring this on? Did I sin? Did I step out? Did I not do something he wanted me to reflect on that? If we didn't do anything, if we have no part to play in this, then we just labor to be in patience, he says. Be patient, it'll pass. The negative situation will pass. In our adult, normal, human, mature adult life, we know this. I didn't really want to get up this morning. Right? I didn't. It was 7 a.m. I'm laying in my three-year-old's bed because she goes, It usually starts about 4 a.m. and just goes every 30 minutes until then. So I usually just go sleep in her bed with her. Didn't really want to get up. But I know if I want a job, if I want money, if I want to provide for my family, if I want to walk through my day without a bunch of guilty conscience and everything else, I'm going to get up and I'm going to go to work and I'm going to take care of the responsibilities before us. That's what we call a mature adult, right? Why is it that interiorly when things get difficult, we crumble and we don't do the same thing? We don't stay the course. We don't continue moving through whatever difficulty we're having interiorly. We allow it to determine our day. We allow it to determine our life. I didn't allow my tiredness this morning to determine whether I got up and came here. You wouldn't do that for work. Why do we do that interiorly? It's something to reflect upon. Right? And the exact same thing will happen interiorly if we lean into this with prayer. Once I was up for 45 minutes running around, I feel fine. I'm glad I came. I'm grateful to be here. I'm going to go spend the day with my family, whatever. It's no different interiorly. If we're presented with these things and these things come up, if we continue to lean into it and continue to walk, it will pass as well. And we will be made more and more holy. And every time we do that, it'll be easier to do it the next time and easier to do it the next time. And our faith and trust in God will grow. And then before we know it, we're unmoved by the things that used to move us in life. 
That's how he trains us. That's how he teaches us. He gives us powerful weapons. The truth. The truth is the thing that sets us free. It's the truth that sets us free. Always the truth. And we need to fill our minds with the truth and allow that truth to challenge us to rub against the things in our heart that are untrue, to change us. That's what it means by the word of God, the Bible, the scriptures are living and effective. And they cut through marrow and bone and all that kind of stuff. The truth will change. It will rub. It'll force us to bring things forward. And Jesus is the truth. Once again, everything in the Catholic faith is meant to be lead us to deeper intimacy. He is the embodiment of truth. Don't disconnect the informational truths from him. This is one of the things Pope Benedict was really about, was that biblical scholars, theologians, and theologians need to be on their knees first. It's a problem just to continue receiving information and not actually be on your knees. We tend to become arrogant and self-righteous and know-it-alls and everything else. Right? I see this at a university I work with. One of their big missions is uh, academic pride, stamping it out. And the way it's stamped out is on our knees because Jesus himself, the man, is the truth. All of those truths that we receive, those informational truths we receive, are meant to lead us back into deeper intimacy with him. Daily prayer. Our prayer, our time with him, is our relationship with him. Like I said yesterday, if I do, you know, what's going to happen in my marriage if Demetra and I do not have time every day to talk? If we don't actually talk, give it a couple months. We're not going to know each other anymore. We're going to be like ships passing. Hello. There's not going to be life there. There's not going to be joy. Neither one of us will be happy. She definitely won't be. I could probably make it longer than her. Right? But it won't be there. We have to have this time with him. This is one of the biggest things that I notice is attacked in our culture right now. Is relationship. We don't know how to do it or how to have it. This is probably my entire mission that God has given me is how to have be in relationship. And I'll tell you what's so awkward about that is I was deprived of it all my life. Here's another key to how Satan works. He will attack you precisely in the place where you're gifted and called in the exact place you're gifted and called. He will attack you. A friend of mine's an amazing musician. That's where he was attacked. Didn't want to do it anymore for a number of reasons. As we prayed with him, it was so abundantly clear what God wanted for this man to be free was to praise him. 
And it's probably one of the bigger resistances for him. Pray daily. Read the scriptures, the sacraments. You know, I used to go to Berean church. I'm not a cradle Catholic. I'm a convert. My cousin worked there. My, um, which I guess a lot of people here wouldn't even know what Berean is because a lot of people aren't from Lincoln. It's a Protestant evangelical, probably the Protestant evangelical mega church in Lincoln. It's out on 70th and Highway 2. And I went there. That's how I came this way. And, uh, you know, with the sacraments, they'd always have this notion that you're earning God's love by going, and it's just some weird, mythical, magical type of thing that you're falling into deception, yada, 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 yada. And when I was coming to the Catholic faith, you know, I was really kind of standoffish about that because I didn't understand what they really were myself. I was still learning. And wherever we're still questioning and we're insecure, we're usually going to get agitated when people press on it, right? So if you're getting agitated about what people are pressing on, it just means you need to press in more and come to understand more deeply what's happening there, right? And so... What I feel now and have for some time is God gave us so much more than this. He gave us so much more than this. So many more ways to receive his grace, to receive his love, and to deepen an intimacy with him. And the sacraments are a huge part of that. A huge part of that. What the sacraments should be is points of encounter, points of intimacy with our Lord. The way they become that is by honestly opening our heart to him. So I went through a period of time where confession was just flat and boring and drab. And I hated going because I just said the same garbage every time and walked out like I walked in. And it was just. And then one day it occurred to me, hey, Jesus, what am I doing that's separating me from you and from others? He was very willing to tell me. Very willing to tell me. I put away my examination of conscience because I'd just go back to the same garbage I'd see every day. And it was kind of impersonal. You know, this list was telling me. I was like, yep, that's one, that's one, that's one, that's one, that's one. Okay. It all needs to be led by the Lord, not by us. So pause before you go to confession. What is it, Jesus, that's separating me from you and from others? How am I being selfish? inconsiderate how am i withholding myself from you from others whatever it is however you ask that ask him to show you and take some time to listen he'll show you what's disturbing your heart and what's disturbing his the minute i started doing that and taking that to confession it became a place of forgiveness and intimacy where the mercy of god touched my heart again It's real easy for some of these external things to just become what we do, right? And because it's so easy for that to happen, they will criticize us for it the day is long and say that's all it is, and that's not all it is. With communion, the same thing I said yesterday. When you receive communion, ask him to touch your heart. Ask him to enter in if it's something negative. 
If it's something positive, ask him to expand your capacity to love, to receive this consolation at a deeper level, to let him change your heart. The sacrament of marriage, because I imagine some people here are married enough. The sacrament of marriage is very powerful. It is no less powerful than the sacrament of ordination or the sacrament of the Eucharist or sacrament of baptism or any of that. Sometimes we don't think about it because we don't talk about it enough. But the sacrament is powerful. The sacrament is there for the good of the spouses and the procreation education of children. We tend to put that second part first and it becomes a daycare. Because when it's all about the kids, it becomes a daycare. That's what daycares are. They're all about the kids. What we don't understand about marriage so frequently is it's not just about the explicit teaching that happens. I had a huge grace of being able to do that with my son this morning and making him very uncomfortable. Right? He was like, I don't want to go to mass today. I go every day. I don't want to go today. And so it was definitely a moment for me to pause because I was getting a little irritated because he was starting to like stomp his feet and slam the door and things like that. And I'm like, usually I just wanted to stop. And I was like, bah! you know, but I paused and I was like, went into his room and I was like, why don't you want to go? Like, what's going on there with that? He said, well, during the week they come down the stairs and they talk to us and I understand what they're saying. It's my favorite part when they talk about the gospels. He's like, on Sundays, they don't do that. They don't do that. He's like, I don't understand what's going on. He's like, plus I go every day. I don't want to go. <laughs> right? So we talked a little bit, and I explained to him why that might be. And my wife came up with this missalette idea, the thing she can order and blah, 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 whatever. So I told him about that. I told him to go talk to his mommy about that. Then we have this little picture book Bible, and he's like, can we read a story out of there? It's like, sure. So first he picks Jonah and the whale. So we talk about that. Then he picks John the Baptist. Right? We talk about that. And then he picks the baptism of the Lord. And this is where I got to make him uncomfortable. And say, do you realize, Thaddeus, that when he said, and I can't remember that it wasn't the exact words in the scriptures, but this is my beloved son with whom I'm well pleased. When you got baptized, God said that about you. He's like, oh, we have to talk about this. Right? The reason I said I'm grateful to make him uncomfortable is because he's already been communicated by life that that might not be true. And that discomfort that he experienced was the truth rubbing. And what that shows me is where I need to stay with my son. Right? He provides us powerful weapons, the reading of the scriptures, our prayer, these sacraments. And live in the light. This is one of the biggest things. Live in the light. Share honestly with others. Live a confessional life. What that does not mean is I'm going to stand up here and tell you my confession. But what it does mean is that I'm going to be open with you about my life, which I have been. Because my own life serves a purpose. It builds bridges with people. It helps under, people understand. 
It builds trust. People become engaged more. That's how intimacy develops. Right? That's how it develops. And we should live confessional lives. Do we realize the first, I don't know how many years, Father could probably get the number right, that when they did confession, everybody would stand up and confess their sins out loud in front of everybody to everybody? No thanks. The point of that, though, was the entire community lived a confessional community. Everybody knew everybody's stuff. Everybody knew. Right? They knew. That's one thing that we've lost. We're so freaked out and afraid that people are going to know stuff. And, oh, my gosh, are they going to judge me? Are they going to hate me? Are they going to reject me? Are they going to kick me out? <laughs> that we keep it all walled off. And we have to have people in our life that we are truly 100% honest and open with. We have to have a community like that. So share honestly and openly. Ignatius, towards the end of those discernment, uh, rules for discernment of spirits, says, Satan wants us to keep things in the dark. Tell a spiritual person. Get it out. Otherwise, he's just going to sit there and chirp and work and create stress and issues for us. It's important to speak things out loud when you run through the keys. Repentance, forgiveness, renunciation. It's not enough usually just to say something interiorly. We need to manifest it out here. We need to speak it out loud. Our whole person. Think about the parallel of being Catholic and all the stuff we do. It's the whole person that's ordered towards worship. It's no different with the keys. The last thing I'd say is take some time. First thing I would do is I would start reading the scriptures more. Jerome is right. Ignorance of scriptures is ignorance of Christ. We need to come to know it more. Pope Benedict spent a lot of time communicating that to us, writing some letters and encyclicals and things. And ask Jesus for wisdom. Ask him for the gift of understanding, to understand what you're reading, to let it affect your heart and to ask him for the grace to submit to him in the things you read. And then specifically, I would recommend going to the letter of Ephesians. Because almost the entire thing is about spiritual warfare. It's bookend. The sixth chapter is where he says, Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. For we are not contending against flesh and blood, but against the principalities, against the powers, against the world rulers of this present darkness, against the spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavenly places. Our problem, my problem is not with you. My problem is not with my wife. My problem is that the evil one trying to distort and disrupt and create tension and problem. Therefore, take the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day, having done all to stand. 
Stand, therefore, stand, 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 stand. He says it all the way through this chapter. It's bookended by that. In the beginning, he talks about Jesus being set above those things, the evil principalities, powers, and how to live this out. 